0: God, I am so grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning. I am, uh, I don't have the words to thank you for your word that you've given to us, that you've revealed to us. Uh, and I pray this morning you would reveal yourself to us more, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us faith, strengthen the faith that we have in you. Uh, Lord, that by your spirit you would help us to, lo- to walk and live in a way that is, uh, that is honoring and pleasing to you. God, we love you and pray and ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew 5, and we are going to start in verse 1. Follow along. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, is the kingdom of heaven. I want to refresh. If you've been here for this series, you kind of know, and I want to refresh and remind, but if you haven't been here, this is your first time, uh, let's talk about the context. What is happening here? Jesus, he sits down. There's crowds forming, so he goes into the mountain. What that means is the hill country. He goes up a little bit higher, all right, so that he's higher than the people, the crowds, which are down lower, and the disciples come to him, and he sits down. And what is most important for me that is impactful that I think is good for us to think about who is Jesus talking to when he gives this sermon? His disciples. If you read in verse 1 and 2, his disciples came to them and he taught them saying. So when the point that I'm trying to make is this this sermon is for followers of Jesus, for Christians, disciples of Jesus. He's not talking, this is not an evangelistic sermon, although anything that contains the word of God has the power to save, but for us this morning, it's good, and what Jesus is doing is he's telling his disciples, and he's trying to paint a realistic picture for them of what being a Christian is going to look like. He's trying to tell them, and uh, in some ways warn them, I think, to some degree or another, this is what your life is is going to look like. It's also, I think, a call, this is what your life should look like. We should seek to practice these. But as we talk this morning and continue, I think that you'll see here that this is the natural progression of what God has done in somebody's heart and mind. These are marks of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And another point, real quick before we we dive in, I want to talk about what blessed means because I think it is so impactful. Words are very important, but their meaning often changes with culture, changes with time. The picture that you have come to your mind is different than the picture that I have come to my mind when you hear the word blessed. I want you to try to look at the disciples' faces as they're sitting around Jesus when he uses the word blessed and what that meant to them then and what it should mean for you today. Blessed. Pastor Brad talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago, the Beatitudes is a Latin word that stands for happiness. Jesus is talking about happiness. But as I've studied, I think even more so what that meant to them, blessed, happiness, it was talking about, Jesus was referring to divine joy and perfect happiness. And to them, I think, in the original Greek, That word was only used to describe and talk about the Greek gods and people who have died. Essentially, this is a happiness that is beyond what this world can offer. You can't get it here. Only if the gods, right, or once you die and you go on, you can experience this this joy and happiness. So try to picture the disciples when he said, blessed, blessed, blessed. I don't know that I really can fathom a word in in the context for us today and what that means. We all think we have an idea of what happiness is. And that might look a little bit different. But Jesus is saying, and I think we need to be warned here, because what will happen as Christians, we will kind of transpose what we want and what the world says happiness is into our hopes and into our expectations for our life. So you need to be warned, I think, in what Jesus is saying here, that happiness might not look exactly like what you think it will. I want to move on here. We need to be watchful for this. Let's dig into verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for for they shall inherit the earth. And before we define this, I just want to say that my my sermon here, um, I'm a little bit I really want to put this on you because I think God does and I think the power that we see here as we talk about meekness is on you and the clarity has to come from what God is doing in your heart and mind as to what this is going to look like for your life. So when I try to define meekness, it's not going to look exactly the same for you and for every single person. This has to do with your conviction. This has to do with your beliefs and what God is doing in your heart and mind. Alright, so I'm going to try to, I have a few points and I'm going to try to string this together, but as we hold it up, the picture of meekness falls on you and you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't give you a definition this morning, and I don't think Christ is giving us a definition uh, exactly that is uh, a cookie cutter, everybody do exactly this, and it's going to play out exactly the same. It's going to look different with different people, different personalities, so, let's, let's move forward. What is meekness? To help understand that, I want to first talk about some of the characteristics of meekness. All right? Meekness, specifically, characteristics that don't describe meekness. One of them being weakness. Meekness is not weak. Meekness is not some lame, uh, limp pushover type of attitude that is just reserved and has no confidence and no ability to stand up for themselves. That is not meekness when you look at somebody who is characterized by it. Meekness, on the contrary, has everything to do with power, with confidence, with authority. Furthermore, characteristics of meekness are humility contentment patience and there's a whole lot that we can unpack but to help sum it up i want to steal a quote i have no idea who this quote came from as i studied i saw it all over the place but i trust that whoever actually said this will be meek about it and they're not going to care that i steal it from them meekness is power under control meekness is power under control I don't think that's a thorough, but I think it's a helpful start. And what I want to do before we unpack and and add to that, it has everything to do with power being under control. But I want to first paint a picture in your mind of power under control. And what comes to mind with power being under control? I think of, you know, Star Wars. I think of somebody who's got some power or Harry Potter with like a wand. You know, it's like there's some sort of power that you can channel, you can use to do what you want with it (laughs) when you want to who you want. Meekness is way more than that. Meekness, here is a better quote from a man named Colin Smith. I know who quoted this one, or who said this one. And I think that he hits the nail on the head as to what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. He says, Meekness is strength brought under control through submission. And this is why meekness is upside down and flies in contrast starkly to what our world says and what our flesh feels. I don't know if you guys have heard the phrase, anybody ever ever heard, uh, you've got to love yourself before you can love other people? Has anybody ever heard that? There's books on the shelves that tell you how to love yourself better. I can't think of a more natural thing that I know how to do. I know how to love myself, but our culture is obsessed. You be the captain of your ship. You make your decisions. You decide. You, 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 you. It's all about you. That's what our world says. Let me explain meekness as it, as it refers to power and confidence, but also relates to submission. Submission. The word meek in the original language would have brought to to mind a picture of a horse being broken, being tamed, being put under submission. You see where this is going? What Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, he's saying this, you can only be meek if you are submitted to God. I'm gonna be done with my sermon right there. I think I think that that would work. But I want to go a little bit farther. The horse, the horse, by God's design, has muscle. It's horsepower, for Pete's sake. Right? We still use that. Horses are incredible animals that are built for speed and muscle. But guess what? It's only once the horse is brought under submission to the master who has the bridle and bit in its mouth that can get that horse to run a race in a specific direction. And it's amazing. And guess what? That's what God wants for you. You were designed to run a race. But it's only when you're brought under the power of God and his submission and what he wants and what his will is. Meekness is a picture of God's power by the Holy Spirit helping a believer to live and act how God designed them to. I'll say that again. Meekness is a picture of God's power By the Holy Spirit, helping a believer to live and act how God designed them to. Meekness is obedience to what God says by submission to who he is. And something here I want to talk about real fast, uh, submission, the word uh, in the original was a combination of two words, so it's helpful to look at meekness and what it means, and talking about uh, a horse in the picture that it would actually have described submission. I think is also helpful. The two words, submission. Do you know what that stands for? Sub under. Very simple. Your mission is being brought under another's. When you submit, you all of the sudden are taking on the mission of whoever you place yourself under. Submission. You can either submit to God's plan and mission or you can continue with your own plan and mission. Left to your own mission, I think it suffices to say that it's pretty easy, but I would challenge you to consider what your motivation is. Your, your attempts at meekness, somebody's attempts at meekness, apart from submitting to God, it amounts to self-interest and self-preservation. Think about it. How you interact, the decisions you make, what motivates that? Self-interest. Preserving what you think, what your, your plan, your mission. Whereas the meekness of God and what he's calling us to do here amounts to love. But not love for self. Love for the one who loved us unconditionally and gives us the picture of how we are to do it to others. And that's why the characteristics of meekness, a few of them that I listed we can talk about them as modeled by Jesus Christ because he did them perfectly for us. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. I'm gonna move on. We're gonna to get to the first point here, uh, and what I've done is I've compiled three big rocks, if you will. I've been a Grace Fellowship for a long time. I see everything in big rocks. Everything is big rocks. That's not bad. That's not bad. But these three points, I think... And, and we could break these up in a lot of different ways, but I think what Jesus is, is describing here and calling us to in Matthew 5, these three points will be present. You won't do all of these perfectly, but these all should be here, and all three of these we can continue to strive to do and practice better by God's grace. But they flow from each other. So you take the first one out, the second two will not follow. And you take the middle one out, it's like, okay, well then you're not doing the first one. All right? It's systematic, and I think that it flows by God's design that way. And my point number one is this, and I've already kind of talked about it. Being meek is all about submission to God and his will and not your own. Meekness is all about obedience, you obey what you love. You're committed to what you're submitted to, and if it's not God, it's yourself. One of the best ways that I see to keep this in check, as far as it, you're not going—once somebody submits to God, you're not going to have it perfectly. It's something we have to come back to again and again. And one of the best ways that I see to do this is to acknowledge God is God and you are not. He is holy and you are a dirty sinner. Look at the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you know what that is? That's coming face to face with who God is, his character, his, holy, his, his holiness, his glory, his mercy, his kindness, his wisdom, his knowledge, his transcendence, and it's seeing yourself rightly. Being poor in spirit If you don't have a proper view of God and his character, you will not have a proper view of yourself and your need for him. Even on our best days, on your best day, you desperately need the Lord. And something that I find interesting when talking about this and submitting to God and, and seeking to be meek, Jesus, I think is trying to turn the world on its head for everybody in their religion back then. So Jesus is talking to the disciples and there's crowds. You know, No doubt there's a bunch of religious Pharisees or scribes or people there that are listening to this, but he's talking to his disciples and he's trying to tell them it's not what you think. And he's trying to tell them you can't do it. You need help. If you jump ahead in Matthew 5 and you look at verse 20, look at verse 20. Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to talk about anger. And he said, he references the Old Testament. He's like, hey, you've heard, don't murder anybody. It's like, oh yeah, they all knew that. It's like, okay, well, if you think it in your heart, you're guilty of it. It's like, okay, well, I've never even thought about killing anybody. I'm still good. And then he goes on, he's like, hey, yeah, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. It's like, I'm not even married. I can't do that. Well, if you've thought about it and you've lusted in your heart, you're guilty. He's leaving no room. He's telling them, you need righteousness apart from yourself. And he's trying to point to a power where it comes from. He's trying to point to himself. Do you get it? Do Do you get it? Do you understand? I want to challenge you. Religion is not what it appears to our world. And many people in the church who I think are playing the religious game, it's not what it appears. Second thing to keep in check for point number one, the second thing that that I think is most important is I talk to people and I try to remind people and encourage them in the right direction and even in my own heart and mind to submit to God and his will. And this one, I don't think it's a stretch. It might seem like it is, but it's not accept you need to accept and submit to god's plan for salvation and find rest in christ alone now watch what i'm going to do here many of you it's like i'm a christian i've already accepted christ what are you talking about some of you here are not and you need to but even for believers in the church i talk to all the time do you know what happens to them The devil wants us to come back and submit again to a yoke of slavery, meaning he wants us to fall back into legalism. He wants us to fall back into not resting in God, but to resting in all that we are doing or not doing. And the way that that plays out is this, at the foot of the cross, do you know who meek people are? Spurgeon, who is one of my favorites to read, Spurgeon said this, meek people are comfort people you know what he means? Second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Rest and peace and comfort are found only at the foot of the cross when you submit to Jesus Christ and his payment for your sins. And you have to accept that there's nothing you can do. There's no righteousness that you have to offer. Comfort and rest and peace only come from him and what i see happening with people in the church who i think are christians they turn the relationship with god and they view it this way and our flesh will do this if we're not careful your flesh wants you to view your relationship with god like a contract god will love you if you do this and this and this and you don't do this and this and this right Is that that the right way to view it? Absolutely not. And that's where peace and mercy and grace are found is knowing that it doesn't matter what you do that will affect how much God loves you. If you're in Christ, God sees you as perfect and righteous because of Jesus. Hallelujah, that is where the power stems from in meekness. If you don't get this, you can't move forward with meekness. And it's something that we have to come back to again and again. Do you know why? Because you're a dirty sinner and you have to come to the foot of the cross again and again and again. And there's times that I sin and it's like, I got this one. I can make myself, I can deal with the shame. I can deal with the guilt. You know, I'll just do a lot of really good things to kind of try to ease how I feel about myself and make myself feel like God is okay with me. No, that's wrong. That's not how God wants us to live. And I might add, there is no comfort there. There is only worry. There is only fear. There is only doubt. The rest and comfort come when you mourn over your sin and you fall on your knees before Jesus again and again and again. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's where that comes from, the phrase you've heard that. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. You can't move past the gospel. And in that, you will submit yourself to God because that's how he's designed it. He doesn't want us to move on past that. This directly leads into uh, the third thing that is uh, to me how I see people failing to submit to God and his will. And instead, they start focusing on their will and what they think. Instead of leaning on God, And his wisdom, and his knowledge, people start to look at their wisdom and their knowledge. And instead of making decisions based on what God would want them to do, they start to make decisions based on what they think and what they want to do. And it's very simple. You don't trust God and his will, and you don't think he knows best. In the Christian life, and Jesus knew this, in the Beatitudes, and Jesus knew this darn well, because he knew where he was going. He was gonna be crucified. Jesus is going to, the Lord is going to lead you places you don't wanna go. Think of Moses. Think of Esther. Think of Jonah. Think of Joseph. And a number of other Old Testament stories. They didn't know what the story was gonna be. We can read it now and be like, oh, that was so cool. How cool it must have been to be Joseph, to know what God was doing. He was in jail and had no idea what God was doing. but he trusted God. And in trusting God, Joseph was able to be meek and treat people he was around, whether he was high up on top of the pedestal ruling Egypt or he was in jail and being uh, abused. That's the power of meekness and submitting to God. You have to trust him. You have to trust his will. You have to trust that he knows best. And there is no better person that we can look to as followers of Jesus than to look at Jesus and his example. So if you would, turn to Matthew 26, a few pages over. And we're going to jump around now in some scripture because I think that it is most pertinent and I think it is most helpful to understanding what meekness is and how we are to put it into practice. Matthew 26, verses, one verse, really, uh, verse 39. And this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Getting ready to be crucified. He's getting ready to be crucified. And the son of God, do you know what he says to his father? Verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He didn't want to do it. It was going to be terrible. And his feelings were screaming. He was human, saying, No, let this cup pass from me. But do you know what trumped his feelings? His submission to the will of his Father. That is meekness. What a perfect picture of meekness because Jesus was the most powerful human to ever walk the face of the earth. But at the same time, he submitted perfectly to a higher power, to a higher authority, the will of his Father. And I want to take it a little bit further because we have an account of it here. Turn to Philippians. We have to have complete and unwavering trust. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> we need to have complete and unwavering trust in the Father as Jesus did. And this brings me to my first point or my second point sorry <clears throat> Philippians two. <clears throat> my first point is talking about the heart that is driving meekness. It's the engine, the fuel, that without it, you will not go. The engine will not work. God designed us to run on something and it's him and it's his love that is found at the foot of the cross. It's acknowledging who he is, who we are and our need for him and how he saved us. And it's dwelling on that and it's staying there. My second point has everything to do with when you are there, how that will play out in relationship to other people. You see, meekness is kind of like kindness. I have a neighbor uh, who I have talked to. I've lived in my house, going to be four years Uh, I've talked to him once. I've seen him a couple dozen times. I don't think I've ever seen him talk to another human being in four years. When he comes out of his garage, he gets in his car, he drives away. I try to wave, but he doesn't take his eye off the road. He just keeps going. When he comes back, eyes on the road, pulls into his garage, it shuts. I don't even see him get out of his car. I don't know if he does until the garage door shut. I can't tell people... He's a kind guy. Do you know why? I've never seen him interact with other people. Who's he kind to? Who does he treat well? Meekness is the same way. Meekness we see play out in the context of relationships. You cannot be a meek person if you're not bumping up against and rubbing shoulders with other people, believers and unbelievers, This is where the rubber meets the road. And to move on from point one, which is submission to God the Father and his will and his plan and resting in Jesus Christ will propel you to be meek with other people. Point number two, being meek is all about loving and serving others like Jesus. That is what meekness looks like. And in Philippians 2 Let each of you not look out to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Picture him laying on his face in the garden, crying out, saying, God, your will, but not mine. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus and what he did for you is what he calls you to do in being meek. This is a picture of meekness, counting others more important than yourself, looking out for their interests more than your own. Has anybody ever tried that? It's hard to care about other people. Just being honest, it is. But when I'm sitting at the foot of the cross and I see just how much Jesus went through in caring for me, not to mention everybody else in the world, how could I not forgive somebody else? How could I not be patient with somebody else? When I'm still coming to the Lord, asking for help with sins that I've been struggling with again and again and again and again. It's like, how do I not move on and be perfect and grow? It's like, I can't do it. I have to come to him again and again. He is so patient. How can I not be patient with somebody else? Let each of you look not out only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Verse five in Philippians tells us how. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We are to have the same mind as Paul, who's talking to the Philippians. We are to have the same mind as the Philippians, who he's telling to do this. And we are to have the same mind as all Christians in all of history, the same mind, which is ours in Christ. And we already have seen that that mind is full and complete submission and obedience to the will of the Father. When we do this and are submitted to God by the power of God through us, we can love others. And that's how it works. Meekness is only seen in the context of other people and relationships. This is why Jesus, if you're familiar, Jesus was asked a question by some very religious folk and they were trying to trap him. And they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You know what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a second that's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is a direct relationship to how much you love God and your ability to love other people. If you do not love God, you cannot love other people. Truly. You have to connect the circuit. That's what Jesus did. You have to have a firm grasp of who God is and what he's done for you. And when you're fueling up on that, it's like an electrical circuit. As soon as you interact with other people, all of a sudden, the current goes out and will in, in, in input, and in, um, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, it'll influence people around you. Do, you. do you see what I'm saying? If you don't, I would challenge you to think to yourself, how much do you love God? Do you know him? Do you know what he's done for you? If you do, go back there and remember who he is and what he has done for you and revel in it because only then will you find the power and ability to be able to interact with those coworkers that you can't stand or your family that you don't know how to love and be around. Picture that person, whoever it is. Maybe it's a dozen of them, but just pick one that you can't stand. Maybe it's the fact that they're a jerk. And they don't think about anybody else but themselves. Maybe it's the fact that they are so needy. Every time you talk to them and interact with them, it's like, oh my goodness, it's more of the same. They just need so much. Maybe it's baggage. They're just so burdened and you don't know how to help them. What a picture of the gospel that is. That's a picture of you. And even though you were all of those things, you were all of the reasons that you can't stand other people to Christ, but he still came down and died for you. And that's what he calls us to do for other people. And I wanna remind you here, this may sound overwhelming and you might, even, you might even sigh. I'm thinking to myself, oh, loving other people is hard. I've been close to, to burnout before um, in my life, to the point, and I'm a people person, but it's gotten to the point where it's so hard and you have to give so much. You know, I'm walking around the grocery store and I see somebody that I know. Guess what I do instead of talking to them? I dodge to the other aisle. It's like, I don't wanna run into them. I just wanna get home and do what I wanna do. Whatever that is, whether it's family, Whether it's, oh, they're just going to interrupt my calendar, I don't have time for this. People are an interruption. People interrupted Jesus all the time, but guess how he responded? He had compassion on them, he cared about them more than he cared about himself. And when you see how much Jesus has done that for you, all of a sudden you will be refueled and rekindled to be able to listen to other people and care about them genuinely. I'm not talking like making yourself like, okay, I care about them, I care about them, and then you see them and it's like, I really don't care about them. It's like, you actually care about people. God will change you from the inside out and you'll start treating people in ways you'll surprise yourself. It's the power of the gospel by the Holy Spirit at work in somebody's life. John 13, 12 to 17. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but it's the story of where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And Jesus, he washes their feet and he blows their mind because that was a job for the least of these in their minds. And Jesus does it and he asks them and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? I'm your master. You go and do likewise to one another. I'm not sure what they were thinking, but they were probably like, you gotta be kidding, right? I ain't touching their feet. I ain't dealing with their problems. I ain't carrying that burden with them. I'm gonna mind my own business. But Jesus says in verse 17 at the end of that, he says, with the washing of the feet, he says, if you understand these things and you do them, you'll be happy. Happy are you if you do them. And the word that actually is used in my, in my text is blessed. And the root word is actually the same as in Matthew 5 with all of them. Divine joy and perfect happiness if you love others like Christ has loved you. Uh, I'm gonna maybe ruffle some feathers here. I'm not sure, but I like rap music. Is that Okay. Yeah, some of you are like, can't spell crap without rap. (laughs) Brad said that forever, it's fine. I'll argue with you, it's fine. Lecrae, maybe some of you have heard him. Uh, He is a excellent rapper, but regardless of whether you like rap or not, he's also an author, and I read his autobiography recently, and he says very well and sums up, I think, what I'm trying to say, and what I think Matthew 5 is saying, and what... Jesus is calling us to in his word. He says this, quote, following Jesus doesn't just save us from a less fulfilling life or eternal separation from God. Although it does, that's true. He goes on and connects the dot in what meekness is going to look like, the power of salvation is going to look like in a believer's life. He goes on, it also saves us to a life that can radically transform the world around us through the power of God. Lecrae understands this. And we wonder why there's so much terrible stuff happening in the world. The news, you watch the news? Oh my word, it's almost all negative. There's there's so much junk and people are so selfish and so hurtful. Do you know why that is? Because we're also pushing this agenda that is love yourself before you love other people. Take care of yourself first and then you can take care of other people. Love yourself. Guess what? It's all a product of loving yourself. The power to truly love other people only comes from the love of God and that is what Lecrae is talking about and what Jesus is talking about and what God, God's word tells us to do. If you wanna radically live a life that's obedient to God and transforms the world around you in your neighborhoods and at your schools and at your work, guess what? You have to love people like God loves you. That's the only way you can. Otherwise, you'll just be like everybody else, trying to be nice. And really, it's this facade inside. You just want to kill everybody. God's will for us is to be meek. God gives us the example of meekness in his son, Jesus, and he sends his spirit to us so that we have the power to do it. If up to this point, you're like, okay, but how do I do it? How do I do it? I'll tell you. John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples about leaving. The cross is coming. The crucifixion is coming. And Jesus is telling them, if you love me, obey me. And then Jesus says, I'm leaving. Peace out. And they're like, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Jesus says, it's okay where I'm going, you can't come, but guess what, I'm gonna ask the Father and he's gonna send a helper who's gonna come teach you and remind you of everything that I've done and everything that I've taught you so that guess what, you will be able to live like me here in this earth now because you'll have my spirit. That is where the power comes from. God radically changing your heart and mind from the inside out. If you don't have that, you won't be able to be meek. And in order to have it, guess where you get it? You gotta go back to point one, which is submitting to God and his will and who he is and your need for him and falling on your knees at the foot of the cross and accepting his payment for you. Do you see how it works? You can't rest in yourself. You can only rest in God and what he's done and what he's doing in you by this in the Holy Spirit. You have everything that you need to obey, to know God's will, and to do it. You have everything you need if you're in Christ. And for the sake of time, I'm gonna jump ahead to point number three. Um, And I think this directly flows. And if you read in Matthew 5, you can turn back there if you want, it says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means your best life now. I always wanted to say that from the pulpit. (laughs) All kidding aside, it means your best life now. And do you know why? Because one of the characteristics of meekness is contentment and thankfulness. And when you are resting in Jesus Christ and him alone, guess what that gives you the power to do? Recognize that your station in life is far better than what you deserve and it's only a glimpse and a picture of the joys to come in the promised land where we're going. It gives you the ability to walk by faith and not by sight. If you walk by sight like everybody else in this world, guess where all your hopes and expectations are? Stuff, job, people. Money, cars, houses. As Christians, guess what? We realize that those are all temporary. And that will enable us to use them to love and serve other people and to honor the Lord with how we have them and own them. We're stewards of them. Being meek is all about walking by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians talks about that. This is our temporary dwelling place. This is not our home. And we as believers have the ability to live in light of that. To wrap everything up, to try to give you a glimpse, meekness. God's will for us is to be meek. God gives us the example of meekness. Jesus. And he sends us his spirit, so we have the power to do it. Furthermore, by his spirit, we have the hope and the assurance that this is not home and we're headed to the promised land. But we have to remind ourselves, we have to stay in this. We have to stay on our knees And we have to rely on him and his word and his will for us and what he calls us to do. If you want to know how to make decisions, if you want to know what job to accept and which one to say no to, if you want to know where you're supposed to live, where you're supposed to move to, maybe in another state, maybe in another country, if you want to know how you're supposed to submit to uh, authorities that you can't stand, that maybe are terrible authorities, do you know how you do that? By the renewing of your mind according to this and the Holy Spirit helping you to understand it. I talk to people all the time. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what God's will is for me. You're not resting in who God is and what Christ has done for you. And I don't think you'll be able to see clearly until you do. Meekness. is a life characterized by submission to God the Father and the power to imitate Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for your grace. I am so thankful for uh, your son Jesus and what he did for me, for us. God, it is too good to be true. Lord, I pray that you would help everyone in this room to see, God, you more clearly, to see their need for you, Jesus, to see what you've done for them. And that it would be so rich and so fulfilling and so satisfying that it would bubble up and overflow into all of their relationships and they would not be able to help but extend patience and grace and mercy and love and compassion with everyone around them because of how much they have done all of those things for them. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see truth more and more. That we would better be able to reflect you, Jesus. God, we pray and I ask these things in your son's name, Christ. Amen.